The Scripture reading for this morning is going to be out of Philippians chapter 4, verses 2-9. through 9. Uh, There should be a black pew Bible in the pew back in front of you. We encourage you to read along with us. It's going to be on page 1166 in the Black Pew Bible. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. We are glad you're here. We're going to look into the Word of God this morning, Philippians chapter 4. We've been walking through the text. That's what we do here at Beaver. It's kind of our default mode. We just walk through books of the Bible, and we're walking through Philippians chapter 4. We're going to, what we typically do is, since I've been here about four four years, and, and I kind of decided when I first came that when we preach through books, what I'm going to do is for the first few years is we're going to take like a 30,000 foot view of the scriptures. So what's that mean is, is, is we read through the text. If you probably noticed, we take chunks, par- several paragraphs together. We don't necessarily focus on one verse or we don't focus on um, very many, you know, one word in, in a verse very long. We kind of take a, a a 30,000 foot view of the scriptures and and there's a reason for that that's intentional what I, I felt like we needed when I first came is for us to re- really develop a good hermeneutic and how to study the Bible and our goal is we teach any, all of our teachers here at Beaver when we teach the Bible one of our goals not just to teach truth but our goal one of our goals is to, is to help help everyone know how to study the Bible better for themselves that's what we want to do. That's one of our main goals. Every time we teach, we want to be able to help. And so we're intentionally doing that. But today, I say all that uh, to say today we're going to uh, divert from that a little bit. We're going to look at verses 2 and 3 of, of chapter 4. We're going to kind of narrow in. We're going to come down and see the 30,000 feet, about 10,000 feet, and, and spend some time with these verses. And we'll finish part 2 next, uh, next week. But we are in chapter 4. In chapter 3, Paul, if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, if you're visiting with us, Paul started this church on a second missionary journey, and he is uh, in a Roman prison. This is many years afterwards, and he is in a prison waiting trial. He's being persecuted for his faith and for the work in the ministry. And this church, this Gentile-believing church, this sweet little church in Philippi that didn't have very much, that's undergoing persecution, they've sent Epaphroditus with a gift for Paul to help meet some of his physical needs. And Paul, what he is doing is he is writing this letter back to the Philippian church in response to their gift. And he's, he's encouraging them and he's teaching them um, some things uh, uh, that they need to know. But we're in, in chapter 4. And preceding chapter 4, Paul began uh, to warn the church there against two types of errors. 
Bryce. One, one type of error that, was, that had arisen in the church was uh, legalism. There were some Judaizers, some Jews that, that would, had uh, started influencing that Gentile church. And what they were telling the Gentiles were, before you can follow Jesus, you have to first become a Jew. So you need to submit to circumcision, keep the food laws, so on and so forth, before you can follow Christ. And so that's, that's a first error. And the second error we looked at last week was there was a group of people there that thought, well, since I'm saved, since Jesus has paid my sin debt, then I can live however I want to live. So there's two errors there that Paul is refuting. And now in chapter 4, what Paul is doing is he begins to deal with the subject of Christian unity. There's a lack of unity in the church, and it's hindering the effectiveness of the church. And so Paul has, in general terms, talked about unity already. What's one of the great themes in the book of Philippians that we've talked about so far? Anything that comes to mind? One of the themes is joy, right? He's mentioned that over and over again, and we'll look at it again next week. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. But one of the other themes that are in this book are, are, are Christian unity, unity in the church. And so Paul, in some general terms, has addressed that already. In chapter 1, verse 27, he exhorted them to stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel. In chapter 2, verse 2, he challenges them to be like-minded, having the same spirit and purpose. But now Paul, he gets... Uh, right, he gets um, maybe more specifically how do we keep unity in the church? How do you apply that specifically? And he gives a specific way that the Philippian believers can be unified. Uh, look at verse 1 there. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And notice the affection Paul has for the believers in Philippi. He calls them brothers, they are his joy. This relationship that Paul has with his church gives him a lot of joy. They're a bright spot for him in regard to his ministry. And if some of you that teach school, uh, if you have some children, when you think about some children that you teach, Reagan, and when you think about them, a smile comes to your face. On the other hand, there's other kids, as you think about them, you cringe, right? Well, Paul, as he thinks about the Philippian believers, that church, in Macedonia, he, he, he smiles. He gives him great joy. They are his crown. They are his crown jewel, knowing that one day when he stands before the Lord, if they continue to persevere in the faith, that Paul will receive a crown because of the work he's done in Philippi. But also, in the here and now, they're his crown of joy. They're, uh, they give him a lot of, of joy. He's uh, excited about that church and what the Lord's done there. Well, let's look at verse 2 and verse 2 and 3. We've read through this four. Let's read it one more time. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Seneca to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So two ladies in the church here are, in, are having some conflict. Think about the situation there in Philippi. They're undergoing persecution from the outside. The Roman citizens in Philippi are mistreating them, and we're not sure exactly what's going on. We just think about Paul and Silas. If you remember back in Acts, when they were in Philippi, they were imprisoned. They were mistreated terribly. So there's trouble from the outside, but there's also trouble in the church within. We see these two sisters having conflict, and conflict's inevitable, isn't it? I mean, you would think maybe a, a church uh, without conflict, you might say that, well, if that church is, Maddie, is, is 
having conflict, that the conflict, uh, the lack of conflict would say that that's a healthy church. We don't have conflicts. You must have a healthy church. Well, that isn't necessarily the case. I think it's not the lack of conflict because you're always going to have conflict. I think it's how you deal with conflict will determine if you're a healthy church or not. I mean, think about it. There's so many things to, to have conflict over. Isn't there? I mean, I think about our church here at Beaver. We, we, I think we do a, a pretty good job, by and large, um, of getting, when we make decisions, a consensus. We're, we're not an, an elder-ruled church. We're a congregational-ruled church. We make decisions together as a congregation. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. Our business meetings are pretty pleasant. Sometimes they say, hey, we're going to have a business meeting there, and people kind of cringe, like, uh. They say, no, man, come. It's okay. It's, it's going to be all right. <laughs> um, we, we, we have a, a pretty good time. We make decisions, uh, I think, in, in a, a right, good way. But there are many things to have conflict over. In fact, conflict has been occurring since the fall, since sin entered the world. And even in our membership dinner, as some of you have gone through here recently, we'll have another one in the next couple of weeks, but we try to paint a really clear picture as people are coming to our church and we're praying all the time, Lord, uh, let people know where they need to be because you need to be involved in a local church. You need to be committed to a local church. You need to belong somewhere. And we're asking the Lord to direct people all the time. Is it here? Is it elsewhere? There's other good churches. Everybody's not going to come to our church. Everybody doesn't need to come to our church, right? And so we try to paint a pretty good picture in our membership dinner of this is, what, this is where we stand doctrinally. We're a Baptist church. The Baptist faith and, faith and message, that is our creed. And so we, we try to paint a really clear picture. This is who we are as a church. This is what we believe. This is what we, we stand for. And that helps. But what happens sometimes is those, um, I call them tier one and tier two um, doctrines. There's some things that are really, really important that we need to agree upon. And then there's a lot of things that we, it's really hard to agree upon that maybe aren't so important that we can have some difference of opinion on. But sometimes what happens is somebody takes the tier two non-essentials and tries to make them a, a tier one essential. And so that can cause conflict sometimes. Sometimes music taste. Well, I, I don't like those songs. I like these songs. That can cause conflict. Our personalities. Think about how different our personalities. And that's the beauty. Let's take a time up for a second. That's the beauty of the church. Is you have a church and you have so many different personalities, different people from different backgrounds, different traditions, we're raised differently. Uh, and it's really wonderful and beautiful if you're around people that speak different languages and you're, you're different ethnicities and you see this big melting pot of, of the redeemed of the Lord. It's just a beautiful, wonderful thing the church is. I mean, how can we be together? And look, I'm looking around all these faces. We're all so different. Different interests, different walks of life, different personalities. But yet we love each other. Some of us just love each other and we're like family. In fact, I'm looking around. We're, I'm closer with, with many of you than I am my own biological family. God has just brought us together and he's unified us because of Christ. And it's a beautiful, wonderful thing. But all those personalities, it can be tough sometimes, can't it, Blake? Man, we're just different. We handle things differently and we, we handle conflict differently and, and, and we talk about things differently, right? Yeah, it's just, we're just all different. But it's a wonderful thing. But it causes conflict. We have in our church, we have teams. 
We don't necessarily have one person in charge of things. We have teams. We kind of do it in, in, in teams together. But sometimes maybe in our church we have some people who are a little stronger and they take too much of the initiative and, and that, that can cause conflict within the team. Well, you, you decided you should have talked to us and we should have done this together. Da, 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 and that, that happens sometimes. Yeah. And the Bible talks a lot about conflict because the Lord knew that we would struggle to get along and to see things that the, the same way. And one struggle, I think, for many of us is to know when to overlook minor offenses and when to confront someone over a matter. I think Chris McWilliams, we've talked about this before. You know, when do you, when do you, when do you just bear with each other? And when do you need to talk about that thing? Yeah, it's really hard. It's really hard to know. In fact, we're told throughout the Scriptures, Annabeth, we're told to overlook offenses, to be gracious and merciful and bear with each other. Proverbs 19, 11. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. We ought to overlook each other's offense, and I'm glad you do. I'm glad you overlook mine. I have a lot of them. A lot, there's character flaws, and I'm not like Jesus in every way. And I have many struggles, but you bear with me, and you put up with me, and you overlook those things. You don't just bring every little thing to my attention that I do wrong. Every time I, I don't handle a situation exactly like I should, you don't always bring everything up to my attention. And I'm glad you don't, right? That'd be a pretty miserable existence, right? Some of you, maybe you have marriages like that where the, the, the spouse is bringing up every little thing you do wrong. Man, that's a, you want to work a lot of overtime, don't you? Yeah, you like to stay at the office long hours because you don't want to come home and be nagged to death. 1 Peter 4.8. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Yeah. Yeah. Steve loves me, so he overlooks some of my garbage. Yeah, he does, doesn't he? And we should do that. Ephesians 4.32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Yeah, we've been forgiven. We've been redeemed. God's been merciful to us, and we should be merciful to one another. And when we overlook a wrong that others commit against us, what are we doing? We're acting like Christ. We're being godly. We're imitating God's extraordinary forgiveness towards us. And the Lord doesn't treat us as our sin deserves, and we, we, shouldn't, we should treat each other likewise. But, but, there's always a but, right? But the Word does instruct us time and time again to rebuke one another, to confront one another, to be reconciled with our brother. So I guess the big million-dollar question is how do we discern when to overlook and when to confront? Well, I'll give you a couple principles maybe. Is the issue harming your relationship? Meaning, what I mean by that, well, of course it's going to harm our relationship. Well, not necessarily so, but is this situation that's coming, is it causing you to be a little bitter? Where you're thinking sinful thoughts, you're saying sinful things, you're acting, treating them wrongly. You know, is this, this, incident that's happened, this thing that they're doing, is it rubbed you wrong in such a way that, that it's causing some bitterness there and it's, and it's where you want to avoid them? I, th I think that's maybe a good rule of thumb. Because we do things a lot. I'll bet you everything I own that I've offended Kevin Boozer in the last year or so. 
But he overlooks that. He is merciful. But if there's an issue that he's wanting to avoid me and he won't answer my phone calls and he just didn't want to talk to me, then maybe we need to sit down and talk about that, you know? So is it harming your relationship? Are, are you avoiding them because of this situation? Number two, is it harming your reputation, their reputation, or God's reputation? Is it doing harm to the kingdom? Then we probably need to, we probably need to talk about that. There probably needs to be some type of confrontation. And sometimes it's hard to know. You know, well, am I just being nitpicky? Am I just, you know, and I th it is hard. It's not no clear-cut way. Sometimes you just have to pray and ask the Lord and give you grace, give you grace and, and help you with that. And then I think eventually you'll know. Most of us do. You know, we do that with our spouses too, most of us. You know, maybe you're not in a good place in your marriage and you're just, it's just nitpick, nitpick, nitpick because you just can't get past something. But by and large, most of us do that with our spouses. You know, things rub us the wrong way or they do something not quite, you know, doesn't handle it like we think they should. You know, if we, if we can bear with them and move on, we move on. But if we can't, we know when we can't. You kind of get a roadblock. Like, all right, we gotta, we have to do some inventory here in our relationship. And these two ladies, they're having conflict in this church. And they're not just any ladies. They're not just uh, people who casually attend the church. No, they're ladies... Paul says they've labored with him in gospel ministry. These are the ladies that they fed the poor. They shared the gospel. They're discipling young women in the church. They're, they're teaching Bible school. They're the ones who are taking food to the family who just lost a loved one. They're the ones who come to church council when you, they're not on the church council. I mean, these are folks who are really involved in the church. They've been faithful. They're, they're part of the core group. They're not on the periphery, just kind of casually visiting on Sunday sometimes. These people are a part of the church, and they were dependable servants of the Lord, but they have, they've gotten sideways with one another. They fought side by side for the gospel, but now they're fighting against one another. And what happens when you have a, have a, a conflict is sometimes we, we, we take sides, and maybe that's what's occurring in the church, these two ladies. I mean, think about how far Philippi was from Rome, but Paul knew about this, probably because of Epaphroditus. It's a big deal. And it probably wasn't a doctrinal issue. Because if that was the case, Paul probably would have confronted that. That's what he does in his other letters like Galatians and Corinthians. Probably wasn't a doctrinal issue. It was probably some petty thing that causes conflict. So what does Paul do? This merciful, gracious church planner. He calls the ladies out. I mean, think about this. This is what happened. Paul's letters, they, they're circulating, you know, and he's, he's sending this letter back to Philippi and this church is going to be read by one of the pastors of the church and their Yodi and Seneki are sitting just like you are sitting in, 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 in church and then this letter is read just like we would read scripture Jake did scripture reading well they read the letter to Paul the apostle Paul sends this letter and then they're listening and all of a sudden they hear I entreat Yodi and I entreat Seneki to agree in the Lord what? 
He called them out. He named names, didn't he? He's the apostle, right? He can do that. He's their father in the faith. But he, he, he called them out. And so for 2,000 years, all we know about these two ladies is their drama, right? So two things we, we learned from our text this morning, pretty straightforward. First thing is to be reconciled to one another. He entreats Yodia and Seneca to, to be reconciled, to agree in the Lord. Now, Paul, he says he wants them to agree in the Lord, and I think this is important, several times in the next seven, eight verses. Paul commands these believers to do something. God commands them through Paul. But notice what it says. Here it says, agree in the Lord. Now look at verse 4, and we're going to get to these next week. Rejoice what? In the Lord. All right? And in verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Yeah, there's something important about being in Christ, isn't it? And even he says here in verse 3, he, he mentioned all of these and he's admonishing them and he says their names are written in the book of life. Well, that's what we all need, isn't it? To have our names written in the book of life. I said, is Christ your living hope? The last song we sang, I ask you, is Christ your living hope? Is your name written in the book of life? That means are you a believer? Have you repented of your sin? Have you turned from your sin? And have you trusted Christ's work on the cross as your own? Is your name written in the book of life? So these are believers. Their, their salvation isn't in question. These two ladies love the Lord. And Paul is telling them to agree in the Lord. What does that mean exactly? We've seen this already in chapter 2, verse 2. What does it mean to agree in the Lord? Well, it doesn't mean, as we've already said, that we all have to think the same thing about everything. We don't have to have the same opinions. We differ greatly. We talk about it oftentimes, different doctrinal issues. Um, uh, Phil loves to talk about uh, end times, and we, we, <laughs> we, are, uh, we talk about those. We, we disagree about some of those things that aren't real clear in Scripture, and, and we land differently in some of those places, and that's okay. What does it mean to be of the same mind, to agree in the Lord? It means we have the same goal to please the Lord and to be like Him. You remember in chapter 3, verse 13, it talks about Paul says, one thing I do, I forget what's behind me and I press forward seeking the Lord. We talked about being one thing people. Agreeing in the Lord is we're agreeing. We're one thing people. This is the, this is the one thing that matters, right? It's pleasing Christ and being like Christ and giving Him glory. And Christ is a perfect example for us, isn't he? What did he do? He did the Father's will completely. He obeyed the Lord. He gave him glory by his actions and what he said and what he did. God in Christ has reconciled us believers to himself. So what should we do? We should be reconciled to one another. He wants these two sisters in Christ to be reconciled. Agree in the Lord. Back in chapter 2, verse 2, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Romans 15, 5. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such 
harmony with one another in accordance with Christ Jesus. Sometimes it'll say, be of the same mind. Sometimes they live in harmony. It's the same word in the original language. It's translated differently. Romans chapter 2, verse 16. On that day when, according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus, live in harmony, he says, with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Live in harmony with one another. 2 Corinthians 13, 11. Finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Same, same words there. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you always. Aim for restoration. Agree with one another. We see that throughout the, Paul's writings. Unity. We need to be unified. We need to have the same mind. Unity comes for, from agreement, right, on, on what's the main thing, which is the gospel. And what we do, we compromise on lesser issues. But when we have conflict, which we all will, we have conflict all the time. If we're not careful, our goal can become who wins, right? Who comes out on top? Who is proven to be right? So I'll ask you, are you trying to win? Or are you trying to reconcile? Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, and that happens, doesn't it? We don't live in a vacuum, especially in the church. That's the wonderful thing about church. That's why we need to be involved in church, because it's more people to rub us the wrong way, right? It's like sandpaper, right? Yeah. We rub people the wrong way, and we have to deal with our junk. And it's wonderful. It's great. I tell people that. When they come here, you know, I, it, it, this could possibly be the best thing ever happened to you because you're going to be aggravated so much by us. And you're going to have to deal with that and deal with your own stuff and how you process things and how you handle conflict and how you communicate. Yeah, it's so wonderful. If someone sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. So how do we, so it's go, recon, go be reconciled. That's the command to these ladies. Well, how do you do that exactly? Just give you a couple of things. Well, it says go, right? I think that's real important. Go and attempt to be reconciled. And, and again, Brady, it's really hard sometimes to know, should I just let that thing go? And some of us, we just let everything go. And that's not, that's not healthy. But some of us on the other extreme, they want to talk about every, every problem. Well, you can't do that either. There's a balance there. Again, is that, is that causing bitterness? Are we having difficulty in our relationship? And is this defaming the Lord? But I think we have to go and attempt to be reconciled. You have to do something. and You got to go talk to them. Right. Talk to that person. And I think it's best to do that face-to-face. -face. We, we text a lot, and I get it. I get it. And it's funny. We, we, we kind of have this, it's a running joke. Sometimes we're, we're taking care of some you stuff or something, da, 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 and, and Amanda will, will text, and she'll, she'll say, I know, I text you. She, you know, she'll text this 14-page thing, and then I'm like, well, that's just too much. So I call her just because it's easier for me, right? But I, I think sometimes we have to be careful texting and emailing we don't, we don't confront or question or do any of that. We don't do any of that on social media or through phones. This has to be done face-to-face. -face. You know what? I got a text this week. Chap my hide. Made me fighting mad. But, you know, as I step back and think about that, I don't know the tone of that text. 
I could be completely wrong about the whole deal. I took it this way, and that may not be the intent. So we have to be really, really careful. We have to be careful what we send, right? We also have to be careful how we receive those things. We have to go, right? And many times just going and talking about it, just mention it. And it doesn't have to be this real serious thing, you know, Rodney, man, we got to sit down, we got to talk about it. No, I was like, hey, man, we okay? What's going on? I got this text, da, 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 da. is that okay? What's going on? You upset with me or something? No, it's okay. Sometimes just going, just bringing that thing up solves it. And what happens, especially during this COVID time, we're not together very much. And sometimes just not being together can cause a lot of conflict or supposed conflict. Well, they're avoiding me. Well, they didn't, they didn't answer my text or they didn't call me back. They must be upset with me. Or hey, they didn't talk to me at church or they, didn't, or they were short with me or da 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 And so what happens? We start thinking about, well, then before you know it, you're mad at them. And they don't even know you're mad. And they don't even know there's a problem because they're not a problem. But sometimes we just need to do inventory with one another. We do that in our marriages, right? Everything okay, babe? You all right? Okay. How am I doing? You know, kind of thing. Here's an example. We had a, a shindig, a church shindig, right? And there was this one brother. He was in charge of bringing the cooler with the ice in it. And so he shows up at the event. And guess what? Oh, brother Plum forgot. He shows up. Hey, man, where's the ice? He goes, oh, deer and headlights up. And a sister says, that figures. All, all she said. And so he feels just terrible. He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I just had a busy day. Da, 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 I just forgot. Well, he's thinking about that. He's thinking about that. She's saying that, that figures. Well, it bothered him so much that after a few days, he felt like he needed to... to to bring that up and so he did and so he, he began by saying hey I'm so sorry I didn't bring the ice I, was just, I slipped my mind it's totally my fault I hope that never happens again I'm so sorry about that but he says but you know you, you said I heard you say this and could I ask you about that is there something going on I don't think I've done this before but is there, is there some issue there you have with me because he's been three or four days you know hadn't slept well and his stomach's kind of been messed up he's just kind of thinking mulling it over you know like we do and she says, oh, no. She says, that day, every, it was the host, right? Everything went wrong. I was just saying, yeah, go figure. Everything else went wrong, so, of course, this is going to go wrong, too. But I never even meant that. I wasn't even directed at you. He's like, oh, okay, I've been feeling, thinking like you were upset with me. No, no, I'm so sorry. My flippant words caused you grief for these few days. Yeah. And just like that, it's reconciled. It's, it's cleared up. Yeah, so that's what we do, isn't it? We go. Firstly, we go. Sometimes we just go. Hey, are we okay? We just have to do inventory. And guys, it's so much easier. It is. Morgan, we all right? We okay? Yeah or no? And we just talk about it. Okay. It's easy. We can do it. Hunter, man, are we okay? Everything all right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's good. Now, women, it's just not that simple. Oftentimes. Sometimes it is, right? <laughs> Actually, sometimes it's just real easy. And sometimes it's not. So you say, hey, are we okay? Like for me, we call it, Gina, we share our hearts, right? We share hearts. It's not just a flippant, easy, quick thing, usually because you just, you have to listen. 
and you want to find out how you need to do better, right? But we go. And just doing, I call it just doing inventory in relationships. We just have to do it sometimes. And sometimes you have some relationships that are really, really easy. And some situations, some relationships, just, you have to work harder at it. Maybe your personalities are more alike. And that's just so good for us. And it's a little more work. I'm looking at, it, you know, at faces and I'm seeing relationships that are really easy and I'm seeing relationships that are really hard. But it's good for us. Man, that's, that's what church is about. It's sandpaper, man. We're just being made like Christ. You know, those burrs are being sanded off. And, but it takes us going, saying, hey, everything okay? And sometimes it's not. And you just talk through that, you know? But sometimes just saying, hey, we're all right, everything good? Yeah, you know, I've been kind of aggravated because of da-da-da-da. Man, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I can see how I probably, you know, you probably thought I was blah-blah-blah. But you just cleared up. Second thing, you go and then be willing to right wrongs that you've done. And I, I call this own your own. You've got to own it. Own your own faults. And, and all that is is the log and the speck principle. You remember that verse, don't you? Matthew 7. Put that up there for us. Matthew 7, the speck and log principle. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Yeah, log, log and speck principle. So own your own means when you're going and, and you need to go, and we do. We go and we, everything okay, what's going on? But you have to own your own junk. Because you're not right all the time. And sometimes you do do things. You don't even see it. We're blind. We think we're a lot godlier than we are usually. So you own your own junk. And it doesn't say, that scripture doesn't say don't point out your brother's sin. No, it says first deal with your own before you point out someone else's. But what I'm saying is you go with that, that attitude of, of humility, right? And you may say, well, what if we aren't offended but we know someone else is offended by me? Do we wait and they that make them or wait till they come to me? Maybe it's not a big deal. Wait and let them come to me. No. We don't do that either. Because that's what we do sometimes. We know somebody's offended we, we, or we think somebody's offended with us or they've got a problem with us. And so we're like, well, if it's a big problem, they'll come to me and bring it up. And that doesn't always happen. But what's the scripture say? Matthew 5, what's it say? Sermon on the Mount, we went through this not too long ago. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, you're worshiping, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, what do you do? Leave your gift, go and, 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 and make it right. Someone has something against you, right? If you think somebody's upset with you, don't, well, if it's a problem, they'll talk to me about it. No, you go and you try to make it right, okay? Yeah. So own your own. So you go, and then you own your own, and then remember, you have clay feet. That's the third little step, maybe. And, and this clay feet, it's an idiom. We, we all have clay feet. It's an idiom from Daniel chapter 2. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, his, his vision of this statue, right? The head of gold, silver, bronze, iron, and the feet are clay. And they, it gets broken up, right? And it's this picture of the kingdom of God. It's going to eliminate the Babylonians, the Greeks, the, you know, the Romans. And then, anyway... It's, it's an idiom we use. Oh, we have clay feet. And we have to remember that we have clay feet. We all have sin in our lives. So this should keep us humble. Own our own sin and, and, and remember we have clay feet. Yeah, we all blow it. 
Galatians 1. Galatians 6, verse, verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But notice the last part of that. Keep watch on yourself. See, that's, that's that clay feet thing. Make sure you, because you, you're, you know, if you're confronting somebody on sin, the difference between th them and you is disgrace, right? You're like, well, I would never do that. Really? Yeah. So this, own your own, be humble. Remember, we have clay feet. Right, and then the the last little thing is remember this replacement principle. Replacement principle. Um, what if you can? What if you go and, and you try to reconcile? You confront a person who sinned against you, or you go to them because you feel like they've, you know, they've got a problem with you, and you go and it doesn't go well. Reconciliation doesn't occur. What do you do? Well, you have to work at it a little bit longer. Right? Relationships sometimes are hard, right? Or, or what, what, if, what if you go to someone and they don't want to reconcile? Or what if you go to them and they say, yeah, we're reconciled, everything's okay, but then by their actions, you know it's not. That happens too, doesn't it? Then what do we do? Well, this replacement principle, what we have to do is we have to, we have to replace our thoughts. Because if we have a conflict, we're fleshly people, right? And, and so what happens is our thoughts go awry. And we begin to think things that sometimes aren't even true. You know, our minds, we, we, we think the worst in people. Well, they're just being a smart aleck, or they're just being a jerk. I got this text this week, and somebody's being a smart aleck. I thought, right? So I'm just mad, you know? So we think things. Sometimes they're not even true. Or sometimes we think things that are true. Wow, they, they lied about that. They're a liar. But what do we do? Well, if you look at Philippians 4, verse 8, we'll get to that next week. We have to replace those thoughts, either the wrong thoughts or just thoughts that, that aren't good, aren't helpful, and replace them with good thoughts. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is all of those things. So and so, you know, they, they, they lied to me. And so I'm thinking all that, man, I'm sorry, joker. No, I think, but you know what, man? He's, man he's, he, he loves the Lord, and the Lord has changed his life and the Lord's used him and you think those things that are true right think those things that are noble and are praiseworthy and are excellent so first thing we have to do is replace our thoughts concerning this person and then we replace our words pull up that next verse for us Luke chapter 6 verse 27 28 but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. you know, and when, we, when we're, someone's upset with us, we want to say things that are negative. Sometimes we say things that, that are true, but they're not helpful. So it's not just things that aren't true. No, sometimes you can say the, the thing that's true, but it's not helpful. So why say it? It becomes un unwholesome talk. So we have to replace our thoughts, take our thoughts captive. I'm not going to think those crazy thoughts. I'm going to think the things that are true about this person, things that are good about this person. I'm going to replace my words. If I'm going to say something, I'm going to say something that's, that's helpful and kind and, and, and good. And then our deeds, our deeds, our actions. We have to replace our actions. And, and what I mean by that is sometimes someone's not willing to be reconciled or they, they've offended us and they're not 
they don't they don't want to be reconciled or they say that yeah everything's okay but then by their actions they prove otherwise we want to be vengeful and we want to get back and we want to hurt them because they hurt us right we have these maybe nasty feelings towards them but if we replace those things that we want to do with loving deeds then something supernatural occurs C.S. Lewis he, he says this in Mere Christianity let me read it to you it's really helpful I think don't waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor act as if you did as soon as we do this we find one of the great secrets when you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him. Your affections, your affections, how you feel, follow your actions. And we've seen it. We've seen it. Uncle, do you remember um, back in the 90s, we went to Romania. And we have a partnership with Nico and Lydia and Tigger Moorish Romania at Liberty Baptist Church. And before we went, about a year's time, we were just praying. We were swapping back prayer requests and we're going over to help them with a project and we're praying for these these people and we went over and uncle went with us it was a group of us went and we did some work and really helped them and but you know what is amazing we've been praying for these people but by when we got there and we met them and saw them face to face you know what had happened because we're praying for them the lord had already given us an affection for them and sometimes when you just treat people lovingly your heart follows it's like we pray for somebody that our enemy. We pray for somebody who's mistreated us or hasn't hasn't done um, what we thought they should do, or maybe they're not willing to be reconciled. And we have all these, you know, we, these thoughts and these words we want to say, and we want to be vengeful. But if we're just loving towards them, our affection follows. Like we pray for people. Isn't it amazing if you pray for somebody that you have a hard you're having a hard time with? What usually happens as we pray. We think, well, it's the person that's changing, but typically what happens is the people, their actions never change or don't change, but our affection towards them does. It's supernatural. This secret, C.S. Lewis told me this secret thing happens. It's a supernatural thing. Your affections follow your actions. And we do this. Some of this stuff is real. We do it all the time in marriage. Jenny serves me, and she does things. Sometimes she doesn't want to, but she does them in these loving acts, Right? Because what, what does that do? It calls her to love me, uh, more affect, be more affectionate towards me. It's a supernatural principle, replacement principle. That's what we do with people who are, we're having struggle with. Just love them. You think, well, my, my heart, I don't feel loving towards it. It doesn't matter. Love's an action, right? Just like forgiveness. Forgiveness is like, well, it's forgetting, it's putting it in. No, forgiveness is, an, is, a, is a choice. It's something you do. You say, well, I've... I've I say I forgive them, but man, I'm just, my heart's not there. I'm just bitter and I'm da 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 da. Well, replacement principle, right? Take those thoughts captive. Think the things, that you, the good things that you can think about them. Don't say anything bad. Say good things about them. Somebody will say, yeah, you know, that's sorry, Joker, da 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 da. I can't believe they did it to you. Well, you know, they've been, under, they've been under a lot of stress and difficult time, man. You know, they're having a hard time. We just need to pray for them. And then you treat them lovingly. What happens? Your, your your heart follows. Your heart follows, doesn't it? Okay. 
You know, forgiveness isn't optional for forgiven people. If you're forgiven, if you're a believer, you're cut in the blood of Jesus, you're redeemed, you're born again, you're regenerate, you're a, a child of the king, forgiveness is not optional. It's a command. It's something you do. We just have to work at it. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. You know, there's times where reconciliation isn't possible. You can't be reconciled. You're doing everything you can, and it, it's just not going to happen. Some of you experience that. It's just not going to happen. The other person is not willing. That's why it says, as far as it depends on you. Are you at odds with someone in the church? If so, the, the scripture says we need to be reconciled. And like I said, it may, more times than not, it's just, hey, we okay? Hey, this was said, or I did this, or hey, I'm sorry about that. Sometimes, more times than not, that's all it takes. Sometimes not. Sometimes things go sideways. These two sisters in Philippi, they got sideways with one another, and there's some conflict, man, some pretty serious conflict for Paul to call them out and address it. So the second point is help others reconcile. It's pretty simple and it's straightforward right from the text. Be reconciled and then help others reconcile. And who should go? It says here, true companion. Who's that? Not real sure. Some, some think maybe an individual. Maybe it is. Maybe, I'm not sure. But it could be, I think, just speaking metaphorically, uh, it could be speaking of the church as a whole, possibly. And we, we talk about having the ministry of reconciliation. Now, that's, we all have the ministry. We've been reconciled, so we have the ministry of reconciliation. That's what we're told in the Scriptures. And, and that's dealing with evangelism, helping people be reconciled with God. But we, we, we have this ministry of reconciliation. We help others be reconciled to one another as well, right? There's a great book. It's called The Peacemaker. It's by Ken Sandy. I'll recommend that book to you. If you don't have it in your, your library, it'd be a great uh, book to use, resource for you. Also, if you look in the scriptures of the book of Philemon, you want to know how to be a mediator, how to help people be reconciled, look at the book of Philemon. Paul helped Philemon, who was a slave owner, and Onesimus was his slave who had ran away and had sinned against Philemon, and so Paul uses great tact to help them uh, mediate between them. He's a great example for us. Um, and lastly, let's just read this scripture, John 17, verse 20 through 23, and we'll close. Jesus, he desires for us to be unified, to be one. And this is the high priestly prayer of John 17. Jesus prays, I do not ask for these only, speaking of his disciples, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, and that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them, even as you love me. See, when we, we love each other and we're reconciled to one another, and it's not like a one-time deal. It's just a, like it is with marriage. It is with your kids. It's a constant work. 
these relationships. What happens? We're we're better witness to the world, isn't it? Because we love each other, and the world sees that we love each other, and says, "Wow, that's pretty sweet. It's pretty special." So let's be reconciled one to another. Like I said, sometimes you just let things go. Yeah, water off a duck's back. That's not. That's a small deal. But if it's if it's an issue, if it's causing you bitterness, you want to avoid the person. You probably need to sit down and have a have a little chat about that. If you need help, you ask for help. Hey, I might need some help with this because I've tried to reconcile and that just hadn't happened. Can you help mediate? Can you help us with this? And that's what we do. We help each other. And we, if you ever have a, um, trouble with that, we would love to be able to help you with that. It's not always easy, but that's what God calls us to do. When I grew up in this church, it's my family church. It's kind of interesting that I'm here pastoring, but we used to take the Lord's Supper and we only did it like once a quarter. And I always like, what, what, why, are we not, why don't we not do it more often? But we would take the Lord's Supper. It was always on a, a Sunday night. And then after the Lord's Supper, we would leave with a benediction and we'd sing this song. And it, 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 the verse goes like this. Some of you know this song. Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. You know that song? Some of you know that. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. And it's a hymn we used to sing after the, the Lord's Supper. Um, there's a benediction, and we, would, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't talk. We'd just sing that song, and then we would leave. Uh, it's kind of the way we ended. Uh, we're not going to do that today, but that's an interesting song that came to my mind. I'm going to ask the praise team to come on up, and um, let's sing um, Christ, Our Hope, and Life and Death. You get that ready for us, Sammy. We're going to sing just the first. Let's sing this first verse. Blake, is that all right? That first verse. Just sing. We don't have to sing the whole song. Let's sing that first verse, and Blake will dismiss us. Let's pray, and we'll... We'll sing, Father, you are good to us. You give us your word and you help us to understand your will. And Lord, sometimes we, we do get sideways with one another and we're all sinful. We all have clay feet. Lord, we need to be a loving church, a church that continually makes things right with one another. And I pray that, Lord, if there's any in our church that has bitterness or ill will towards another brother or sister, that you would bring conviction that things can be made right. And Lord, if we need to help mediate, help others reconcile, may you allow us to be a part of that. We want to be a, a church that loves one another and loves you. But we need your help to do it. We pray for grace in that. And Lord, if there's any here whose name is not written in the book of life, Father, I pray that you would do a work. Your word tells us that we're all sinners and we're all separated from you. And Lord, we need to be reconciled to you first and foremost. But Father, we can't be reconciled and have with all this sin. And Lord, we need someone to make an atoning sacrifice for us. And the Bible tells us that Jesus did that 2,000 years ago. He came and lived this earth. And he lived the life that we couldn't live. He lived for us and then he died for us. And he received the wrath that we deserve. He died and he was buried on the third day. The Bible says that he rose for our justification. And Lord, I just pray if there's anyone here who's yet to repent, if there's anyone here who's yet to see their sin the way you see it and turn from their sin, and if there's anyone here who's yet to trust Christ's work on the cross as their own, I pray that you would allow them to do that today, that you'd be gracious to them. You'd grant them the faith that they need and grace that they need. They would call out to you and be reconciled to you and, and be able to call you Father even today. Father, we're thankful for all the folks that are here. 
Lord, little by little, you're bringing our church back to us. And for all those that are, that are at home, we pray that you bless them. Lord, I pray for health for our church, that we'd be able to meet together regularly. Pray for all the things that are going on, God, for uh, small groups tonight. Pray that you'd bless those. And for men's Bible study tomorrow night, we pray that your hand would be upon that and we'd be encouraged. For Wednesday night as we have Bible study and, and children and students Bible study, we pray that you'd bless that effort as well as we make soup for the, the shut-ins on, on Thursday. Pray that that would be a sweet time. Father, just bless our week. And Lord, empower us as we leave these doors that we would go out with and a burden to be right with you, but also to be right with, with each other. Father, convict and discipline and encourage. Do all that you need to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.